It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome to the virtual bible study this is thursday night december the 18th 2008 we're glad that you're listening to the virtual bible study and we invite your participation in our discussion tonight we'll remind you right up front about our contact numbers one eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. That's the phone line. It's toll free. Give us a call. We'll pay the bill. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Or you can send us an email to questions at collegeu dot com. Questions at collegeu dot com. In fact, if you will look at your screen, if you're getting our video feed right now, you see those things listed on the table banner right in front of my good friend Chris Bates, who joins us on the program tonight. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Greg, and again, thanks to the uh, elders here at College View for the opportunity to uh, come and speak about things that are relative to our spiritual well-being. Well, we're uh, glad to have you, Chris, and we think we have an important topic that we'll introduce here just in a minute. We're short-handed tonight. We have no phone screener. We have no video operator, so you're going to get one video look, no no uh, scanning around or close-ups. What you see is what you get tonight. <laughs> and if you call, um, be advised, as soon as we answer the phone, you'll be on the air because we don't have a call screener to answer the call. But we, we would accept and be glad to have you uh, call our toll-free number and join in the discussion tonight. We want to hear from you. You know, Chris, at this time of the year, every year, we hear a whole lot more about the Salvation Army. I mean, I, typically I don't hear about them any other time of the year, but at, here at, at the so-called Christmas season, we see a, see a lot about and hear a lot about the Salvation Army. Well, you know, they, they actually run commercials, and I've been seeing these commercials for years that you know our people are out more than just once a year. Because they and, realize they have that perception. Right, and, th- and that may be true, but I'll be honest. I mean, again, I'm not trying to run anybody down, but in all of my, in all of my experiences, I have not seen them out except this time of year. And the truth is, as we get into this, uh, you're going to see that uh, everybody who's volunteering for the Salvation Army is not necessarily a member of the Salvation oh, yeah. Army, so they couldn't necessarily be considered their people. It's just a service that they're performing, uh, misguidedly so, I think, but nevertheless, it's just a service, and they are not necessarily members of the Salvation Army, although, like you say, Greg, we see them out this time of year a lot. They're ringing their bells in, in front of the department stores and in front of the malls, and, and, and maybe... Uh, some of what they're doing might be well-intentioned. But, uh, you know, having good intentions is important. But what's more important is, as you've been discussing for the last couple of weeks on this program, uh, the concept of Bible authority. Exactly right. We'll get, we're going to be talking about Bible authority relative to some of the, this discussion we want to have tonight about the Salvation Army. We thought it was a worthy subject, and I think it will be interesting to you. If you have not ever investigated the Salvation Army, there's some information you need to know, and uh, we hope to share that with you. And on the other hand, you may know a good bit about the Salvation Army and want to get involved in the discussion tonight. I hope that you will. I sent out earlier today to our update list these three questions. Number one, simply, is the Salvation Army a religious institution, yes or no? In other words, I was asking people for their impressions. Did you know When you think of the Salvation Army, do you think of a religious group or, or not? That's just a simple yes or no question. And, and just to say about that, not all questions can be answered yes or no, but this one can. Yeah, yeah, we can answer that one. And you may be surprised, potentially you might be surprised at the answer. Number two... Since this organization does good, and that's sort of in quotations, it does good, would that be reason enough to justify supporting it financially? Uh, And there I want more than a yes or no answer. If you want to send us a a response to that, since it does good, would it be justification to support them and explain your answer yes or no? And then number three, if you oppose, and I know that we're going to be talking to some people tonight who oppose supporting the Salvation Army, 
what would be your reasons for opposing the financial support if you do oppose it? So those are our questions. As we often say, if you, we, we always try to give a reminder, if you'd like to be on our weekly update list uh, so that you get these poll questions that we put out usually sometime earlier in the day on Thursday, send us an email. Just, you can send it right to questions at collegeview.com and put in the subject line, add me to the list, and we'll know what you mean, and we'll get you on that list. Chris, I was kind of surprised as uh, I looked at the responses, some of them that were coming in. There there was one fella in particular who said, let me get to this one, he said, uh, is the Salvation Army a religious institution? Uh, it is an institution, but I never made the connection before until you asked the question. And so this guy was um, very open and honest. That's fine. I mean, he just said, I, I was surprised to know that that connection exists between the institution of the Salvation Army being a religious organization. I talked to another fellow uh, yesterday when I suggested this topic. He said, well, have they always been a religious institution? And I think we can find that they, in fact, have. We got several other answers. Uh, Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, says right on their website at SalvationArmy.com, it says they are a church. So he says, I guess that settles the uh, the question. <laughs> since it's a reli- then he goes on to say, since it's a religious organization, uh, it would need to be authorized by God for no. me to give it financial support. We'll talk about that. One, th- one thing about about wage responses, I want to make sure that we get this out there. Um, I'm not exactly sure if SalvationArmy.com is the official website. Um, one of the websites that I have come across that seems to be, and I don't know if it's official or not, but uh, it seems to be the one that they put out, you know, a lot of their a lot of their information, and that's Salvation Army. Uh, org. Yeah, that's the one I've got on my screen right now, SalvationArmyUSA.org. And so I don't know about SalvationArmy.com. Um, it may very well be what you would consider an offshoot of the official yeah. website. And, so, I've, and I've got the screen up right here, and under under their page it says about what we believe, mm-hmm. and it gives a list of things they believe, but it one of the subtitles is the church, what we believe, position statements, come join our army, but they call it the church. Right. I yeah, think that's probably no what Wade had yeah. reference And I to. think that's right. I think that's a good observation. There's no question, but in their own minds, that they consider themselves, in essence, a religious institution. Yeah. Uh, Clay, who was on the program with us a couple of weeks ago, sent in an email and he said, uh, concerning is it a, uh, a religious institution, he said, yes, it is. On their website about us, the tab on that tab, they say the Salvation is a worldwide evangelical Christian church with its own distinctive governance and practice. The Army's doctrine follows the mainstream of Christian belief, and its articles of faith emphasize God's saving purposes. Its religious and charitable objects are the advancement of Christian religion and pursuant thereto the advancement of education, the relief of poverty, and other charitable objects beneficial to society or the community of mankind as a whole. Did you get that, Chris? It's religious and charitable objects. Now, what's what is its intention? What are the what are the objects it's working to achieve? The advancement of Christian religion and pursuant thereunto, the advancement of education, the relief of poverty. Their main objective is to advance their Christian religion. So uh, that that seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Right on their website. Sure. Uh, uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, says the answer is the Salvation Army is a religious institution. They're set up to teach doctrine and to explain their 11 articles of faith on their official website. He references also SalvationArmyUSA.org. Let me see. I got one or two more here. Um, I got Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama, says... They freely admit this, quote, the Salvation Army and international movement is an evangelical part of the universal Christian church. Its message is based on the Bible. Its ministry is motivated by the love of God. Its mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. These are all quotes, by the way. Uh, obviously, all our listeners know how to use the Internet. and they, all you, sure. they do it, you can do a real quick search and find that out. Well, I have a, a file here that has all of the information that I have from the Salvation Army. And while you can go to a number of websites and find what you want to about the Salvation Army, all of my material has come right off the Salvation Army website. Yeah. Uh, so this is not, uh, on our part, an effort to misrepresent no, or anything. No, we're, they've put this out there. I mean, it, right. we're, we're not making this up. I mean, you can find it yourself by just doing a very simple 
search or just go to their website. They, 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 as a matter of fact, the very quote that Patrick was citing, I have. I mean, I have that here from their website. It, it, it was so familiar to me as soon as I saw that, their mission statements and uh, things of that nature. But I have all of that here as to what they consider themselves, what is the Salvation Army, how are they organized, uh, what they believe, and all of that sort of thing. So, uh, indeed, they do believe that they are a part of the universal Christian church, as they as they say. Yeah. Um, Stephen in, in uh, Pennsylvania writes, they do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, but believe that faith, repentance, and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit are necessary for salvation. They claim that they're against homosexuality, but also believe that pretending it does not exist does not help either. So there's a slight level of acceptance. They allow for women to preach. There is no implication that any of the proceeds from their red cans goes to their church, but it's clear that their work is a work of their church. They also may be hiding some things, especially in their position statements. For example, they discuss marriage, but never do they discuss the issue of divorce, which is very fundamental to the topic of marriage. I would say that they are a religious institution. They also discuss that the red cans are to help needy individuals so they can continue and keep the true meaning of Christmas. So uh, part of the part of the contribution and you. as we said earlier, you don't see those red cans out with the bell ringers except at this time of year. And there's pretty strong sort of uh, I, is intimidation the right word when you're coming out of a store? Yeah. You feel sort of intimidated. Yeah. What, what, what are you? Some kind of, you feel pressured uh, almost. Uh, what are you? Some kind of person who hates yeah. poor people? You're not going to give your loose change to the Salvation Army? You know, I, I, it, I mean, I think we all feel that. You know, you come past one of those things, you feel like they think that you're some kind of a horrible person if you won't. Just give your pocket change to this, to help needy people. That's probably intentional. That's part of the design of the of the thing, I suppose. Well, and again, the people typically who are ringing the bell uh, are just volunteers in that respect. They are not necessarily what you would consider members of the Salvation Army. They may be members of the Methodist Church. They may be members of the Presbyterian Church in town or the Baptist Church in town. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know of the of any denominational uproar. Uh, directed towards the Salvation Army. I don't. I don't think that the denominations see them as an organization with which they can have no cooperation. Uh, I, th- I think they see them a- as an organization, a religious organization, of people who believe a certain thing, doing what they consider to be good. And and we uh, who are conscientious uh, about doing things by Bible authority, or as we say often, Bible things in Bible ways. Uh, we are more concerned with can we do something by the authority of Christ? This is not a hateful thing we're trying to do. We're, we, we are not the sort of people uh, who say, well, you know what? I don't care if that child has a, an enjoyable Christmas or not. I don't care if that, if that child uh, has food on the table. And that is at, uh, just the farthest thing from truth that there ever has been. The fact of the matter is we are coming at this discussion uh, from the angle that you have been discussing for the last couple of weeks, Bible authority. Do we have authority to do uh, these things in the name of Christ? Do we? Ha- that is to say, these actions that the Salvation Army is engaging in, uh, is that in the name of Christ, by Christ's authority, and do we as Christians have the authority from God to support what they're doing? And if so, let us let us have the Scripture that authorizes it. Yeah, one more email here to reference before we go to break. Chris, uh, Bob in Indianapolis, Indiana writes, the only time they're not a religious institution is when they're asking the government for money. Uh, <laughs> and so they do that. Uh, and, sure. and then he says, uh, he goes on to say, they are expert at walking that fine line and playing both sides. Did you see where some officer in their ranks was marrying another woman after his wife died and they required that he sign an employment agreement saying that if he married anyone other than another officer in the Salvation Army, He'd lose his job. Uh, well, that's right. That's one of their. That's one of their yeah. big deals. If you're gonna if you're gonna serve as an officer, which is uh, similar to the elders in a local church somewhere, uh, as they say it. I mean, you know, if you look at their responsibilities, and it would it would compare to that. Uh, if you if you do not marry within the ranks of another officer, or if you marry. Uh, someone outside uh, of the Salvation Army altogether, and that individual is not. Uh, of the of the disposition to study so as to become an officer, you're going to have to relinquish that position, no yeah. matter what good you may have done, and no matter how uh, well you served. And of course, you know, when it comes to Bible things, there, there may be some uh, there may be some disqualifications for those who serve as elders and deacons, and and that's that's fair. Uh, however, uh, you know, this is again another religious organization acting as if it is not. 
or at least giving the impression that it is not, uh, although on its website, as has been pointed out, it claims to be a universal part or an, an evangelistic part of the universal church. And we stress again, uh, and I, I don't want to say this, and I don't want to shy away from what the Bible teaches at all, what the truth of the matter is, but you know, we want to take the gospel to the lost. There's no question about that. That is one of our primary focuses as the church of Christ. Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But if you were to try to stop and talk to some of these volunteers at Walmart, at Target, they don't even know what. They don't understand this stuff, so yeah. you're probably not going to get very far and say, hey, do you know what kind of an organization you're supporting? Well, they, they probably uh, have no reason concept of the makeup and organization of the Salvation Army. One more email, and we're going to go to a break on this first question. Is it religious institution? I think it's a shut, open and shut case. Sure. They definitely are. Don in Antioch says, I just got in, have, had, have not had time to do any research, but I think the Salvation Army is a religious organization based on something I heard on the news, something like, and this may not be exactly says, but if you are a member and get married, your spouse has to be of the same belief. Also, I think they have a creed that they go by, and he's right about those things. Okay, we're going to go to a break. When we get back, we've established, I think I think there's no doubt, and I don't think anybody can uh, argue the case. The Salvation Army is a religious organization. They have religious purposes. Now we want to get to the question about, well, we're, I, I want us to talk a little bit about their origins, where they came from, mm-hmm. what they stand for. And then, then we've got to get to the bigger question, can I throw my loose change in the red kettle? Can I support them financially? Let us know what you think. Uh, 877-381-4567 or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and we'll be right back. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back, and we welcome you back to the program. We're glad that you're listening tonight on the virtual Bible study. It's our regular Thursday night Internet study group. We're glad that you're a part of it. We want your participation. If you haven't emailed us already, we hope you will. Or by all means, just pick up the phone and call us. Uh, we'll, we'll answer right away because we don't have a, a call screen tonight, Chris. If the phone rings, we're going to have to answer it to stop the interruption. So you can interrupt <laughs> us and be right, right on the air. If you'll give us a phone call, 877-381-4567, we'd be glad to hear from you. We're talking about the Salvation Army. And, Chris, you've done quite a bit of research on this. Give us a little bit of background where it came from. What's the origins of it? Well, it started with a husband and wife team, William and Catherine Booth. And there's still some discussion in the religious community or the religious historians community as to when this group began. Uh, most agree that it was in 1865, but that it probably started around 1852 when William and Catherine Booth began to come to certain ideas. Now, not not that their ideas were necessarily wrong, but again, what did they do? They essentially started yet another religious movement in opposition to what they considered considered formalities of another group that they were a part of. Again, there's some debate in the religious historians community as to whether or not um, William Booth and Catherine Booth were members of the Church of England, the Episcopalian Church, uh, or whether or not they were members of the Methodist Church. As a matter of fact, one, one historian's account has him as a Methodist preacher. Uh, so there's there's some dis- dispute about whether or not he was in one or the other uh, organization or institution. But what happened was uh, William Booth saw that there were certain things not being done. And again, we commend some of these things. That doesn't necessarily mean because we commend this that this is the reason to start yet another religious movement. What we're saying 
thing is, why not go back to the Bible and follow that pattern? And you don't have to recreate anything. You just are added by the grace of God to the to the church that Jesus purchased with His blood. We don't need it. We don't need a different religious organization. We need to have the religious organization that Jesus died and established. That's right. In, in essence, if you'll understand spiritual regression in a positive way. And here's what I mean by that. You know, you've had all of these movements in the last few years to bring the church into the 21st century when what we need to do is go back to the first century instead of all this progression. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the Booths began to start a movement religiously because they felt like that the role of Christianity had become limited to the pulpit. And so instead of taking the gospel to people who needed the gospel, they thought that it started looking like, well, you know, we're just going to close ourselves off in the confines of these four walls, and this is where Christianity is going to take place. And so Booth began to raise an objection to that and say, well, wait a minute, there are people out there starving on the streets. There are people who are hungry. There are people who have no jobs. Uh, there are people who are thieves or prostitutes, and we need to take the gospel to them. Well, he encountered a great deal of opposition because of that. And he was like, well, forget this. I'm done with this movement if this is what we stand for. And he left and began to do the very thing. He took the gospel as he understood the gospel into the streets. And he began to preach to what was considered to be the poor and the the wretched people of his day. And they were not accepted uh, at all by the prevailing denominations. They were not considered worthy of their fellowship at all because of, of their background. Well, everybody's got... Uh, something in their background that they're not proud of. I mean, there there have been uh, few, uh, if you if you catch the sarcasm, perfect people uh, to walk the face of the earth. You know, there, there's always somebody in the modern time who has something in his past that he's not proud of. So, uh, how in the world these these folks decided that? Well, it was it was uh, it was equally as it was worse rather to be a prostitute. Uh, than to have told a lie, when in fact the Bible teaches that whoremongers will be judged, or the Bible also teaches that liars will inherit the lake of fire. Uh, but somehow or another, they dif- differentiated between sin, and this does not sit well with the booths, and so they began a movement un- called the Christian Mission. That was what they essentially called yeah, their East, movement. East London Christian Mission mm-hmm. in, in England, London, England. And there was a, and that was that's the nineteen sixty or excuse me eighteen sixty five date is when okay. they started that thing called the East London. Christian mission. Well, they also had a son who was key to their movement. His name was, um, I think, Bransom uh, or Bramwell. Bramwell. Bramwell Booth was his name. And uh, Bramwell began to see what was going on here as far as the movement goes. And he 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 was reading something in the paper uh, by way of a review of the Salvation Army, uh, although at the time it wasn't called Salvation Army. It was still the Christian mission. And there was a description of the people who were joining this movement as volunteers. Well, he said he didn't want to be known as a volunteer. Bramwell, he didn't want to be known as a volunteer. He wanted to be a regular. And that kind of puts you in the mindset of where these people were at the time. You're, you're using terms like volunteer and regular. That, that sounds, sounds like army terms. That sounds like army terms. And, yeah. and so what happened was ultimately William Booth came across a particular paper. And somebody had written a review. As a matter of fact, it was the it was a proof of the 1878 annual report, and this is what this is off of their website, when it says that Booth noticed the statement, the Christian mission under the superintendence of the quote Reverend William Booth is a volunteer army, and when he read that, he crossed out the word volunteer and he pinned in the word salvation. And thus, the new name, the Salvation Army, came to be. Now, that's a, sim- a very simplistic yeah. version of getting date, to it. On that name change, I got the date, 1878. So yeah. it's, been, it's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's been in the United States. One, one source I read said that there was a charter issued in New York State in 1899 wow. uh, for the Salvation Army, an organization which, quote, is designed to operate as a religious and charitable corporation whose paramount purpose is to lead men and women into a proper relationship with God. And so their charter in New York didn't say that their charter is to feed the hungry. Right. Their charter says their purpose is to lead people into a relationship with God. It, it is interesting, though, that William Booth was was questioned one time as to why the Christian mission was as successful as it was, because it had only grown to just, I mean, in a, in a year or so, it had grown 
astronomically, but nothing compared to other movements. But by four or five years down the road, it had really gained some steam, and there were just the numbers in the, in the thousands and tens of thousands in this movement. Well, he, he said that the, the success of the Christian mission, which ultimately became the Salvation Army, was, was directly re- the result of what he called the three S's. And the three S's were soup, soap, and salvation. How about that, that? that was that was why he you know and you can you know you understand exactly what he means when sure. he says that sure um, and now the Salvation Army boasts that they are in it, about 111 countries with an annual budget they have a budget the Salvation Army has an annual budget of three billion dollars that is their annual budget that's pretty big co- that's, that's, that's pretty big, big operation. Mm-hmm. Um, also from their website, another says, we are a group of committed Christians who are concerned to see that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, reaches the needs of the whole person. The Army's social work sprang out of such concern. And so they, again, are saying that their mission is a spiritual mission, and it was started as such and always has been that. And so, again, this is, I think, downplayed. To some extent, but I believe really if, if you do very much even casual searching, you'll find out pretty quickly. They, they're not they, – although they don't come out they, – they don't have the same appearance as a church with their army uniforms and so forth. That They don't look like the average church, but they, they actually in their, in their own information, they're not shying away from the fact that they're a church and that they have spiritual purposes. Well, that's right. They, they consider themselves just that. You mentioned the uniforms. All of their officers wear those. Their, their officers and their hierarchy wear uniforms. Now, I think it was Stephen from Pennsylvania that mentioned that uh, they had no trouble with women preachers. In fact, not only do they not have trouble with that, but their highest ranking official is the general. And there is a there is a process that goes into getting one as a general, um, and there there are regulations also. Uh, there's a high council that meets to decide whether or not one can be appointed as general. And then once he is appointed as general, he can serve for five years or until his 68th birthday, I suppose, whichever comes first. But but they also have no trouble with the general being a woman. And essentially, if if you really want to get the picture here, what we're trying to say, and this is not about downgrading women at all, uh, we've had a number of discussions on this program about the role of women. Uh, not only in the church, but in the home and in places of authority. Uh, the, the issue is this. If you, were to, if you were to take away the army aspect of the Salvation Army and just look at it from the top down, does it resemble something else you're familiar with? Just the hierarchy, the order, the structure. You've got one person over several people who are also over several people who are also over several people. Uh, you know, what do you, and, then, and then you've got a bunch of volunteers. Uh, what does that sound like? Well, it sounds almost like the structure or organization of the Catholic Church sure. or some other worldwide organ, uh, religious organization. And of can that you imagine? Can you imagine the uproar that would happen if the Holy Father became the Holy Mother in the Catholic Church? Yeah. You know, well, the the point I'm making is this: that the Pope has essentially all authority in the Catholic Church. If the Pope says something, it goes. He is the one who supposedly has the only means of direct communication with God. So when when he delivers God's will to the people, that's it. Well, in similar fashion, in similar fashion, maybe not as intrinsically or maybe not as as detailed, uh, is the general to the Salvation Army, who can also be a woman. And yet Paul addresses the, the role of women with reference to that kind of authority. And so what we're saying there, Chris, is that if they're a religious organization, and they are, then if they're... If, if they're what they ought to be, then they ought to be following the Bible pattern in everything they do and teach. Mm-hmm. And you've just mentioned two things, two specific areas where they're not at all identical to the Bible. One in their organizational structure. There's nothing in the New Testament that says the church was ever organized on anything more than the local congregational level. There is no hierarchy of organization in the Lord's church. That's right. And so their organizational structure would be off. It, it, I mean, they're not they're not identical or even close to what the Bible teaches. And a second very obvious thing, you don't have to look very hard, a second obvious thing wherein they'd be different than the Lord's church is that they've got, they allow women preachers and women in position of oversight authority. Mm-hmm. And that's not biblical. No, it's, it's, it's not just not biblical. It is completely out of the pattern of God's authority. Uh, Paul was very clear in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that I suffer not a woman to teach or exercise authority over the man but to remain quiet. 
Now, that that is a statement from heaven revealed by the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, either that statement is true, it's just this simple, either that statement is true or it is utterly false. And if it is true, then it remains true in 2008. So their practices in quote, we're beginning to see, and I want to look into this a little bit more, but their practices and their creeds, their doctrines are not the same as the Bible. I've got this one email, who, this fellow says, the Salvation Army was instrumental in my divorce, convincing my wife that all her mental problems were of my making, that she was a victim. Wow. That was exactly what she needed here. They get involved in those sort of things. Mm. we got a phone call coming in. I'm going to go to this phone call. But while we do, we're going to take this break, Chris, and we'll be right back after the break. And hopefully we'll take this phone call. Let's uh, we'll go to the break. We'll be right back. There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There are two very different ways to view service in the kingdom of God. They reflect two totally opposite understandings of what really constitutes working for the Lord. The first view holds that a person's effectiveness and growth potential is directly related to the number of things he does in the public assemblies. Those who think this way are disappointed if there are limited opportunities to lead singing, word prayers, make announcements, wait at the Lord's table, and so forth. Frequently, they will voice concern that they are not being used or that they're not growing if they don't have numerous chances each month to perform these functions. They seem to like the limelight and feel unproductive if they can't be in front of the crowd. Such folks are typically unhappy in a larger congregation because a larger group naturally limits the frequency of such public activities. Others have a different outlook on these things. Yes, they are more than willing to do what they can in the worship services. Do you need a song leader or someone to fill in when the preacher is gone? Need a teacher for the junior high or high school class? You need only ask. They are ready. But these folks feel that such opportunities are really only the icing on the cake. They understand that real service is something that springs from a heart that is fully and deeply dedicated to God. If there is something of a public nature that needs to be done, they'll gladly do it, but they're not sitting back waiting for such opportunities and moaning if they don't come their way. Instead, they're making their own opportunities by teaching their own families, neighbors, and co-workers. They see to the needs of the sick and downtrodden, they work. They're doing it regardless of whether or not there is someone standing by to observe them. It's this second view that is clearly taught by our Lord in passages like Matthew 23:11 and Luke 22:26. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study for Thursday night, December the 18th. We're glad you're out there listening. We look forward to your participation. Our phone call was from a listener who was having some trouble getting connected to our stream tonight for some reason. But uh, we can tell by what we're seeing here that we're getting out. So, uh... We hope everybody can, if you've got some connection problems, we hope you can work that out. But we're, I can tell for sure that we're getting out, Chris. So we're going to continue with our discussion about the Salvation Army. We, we talked there just before the break, Chris, about some of the doctrinal things they teach and do that would not be true to the New Testament. Uh, give us a little more. You've got a little more information there that we want to talk about. And then we want to get to the big question. And by the way, this is the big question we want to, to deal with. Can... Can we support them? Can we give them money? Uh, can I even give them the loose change out of my pocket if, if no more than that? We want to talk about that. And if you have some thoughts, get in with email or phone calls. But Chris, tell us a little bit more about some of the doctrines that they're teaching. Well, one of the things that stands out on their website is what they believe about um, how we became sinners. And this is essentially a, a commentary on total hereditary depravity. And that is the concept that when we're born into the world, we're already born guilty of sin. And we're guilty not only of the sin of our parents, but on back to Adam, all of our ancestors on back to Adam. Uh, here's, here's how they articulate that on their website, SalvationArmyUSA.org. It says, quote, Our first parents were created in a state of innocency, but by their disobedience they lost their purity and happiness, and that in consequence of their fall, all men have become sinners, listen to this, totally depraved, 
and as such are justly exposed to the wrath of God. Now, we agree and concur that those who have become sinners, that those who have become sinners by committing sin are justly exposed to the wrath of God. There's no question about that. Sin separates one from God, uh, so says the Bible in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Uh, those who commit sin are dead in sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 1, 1 and 2, and again Romans chapter 5, verse 12. But they simply believe nothing different than John Wesley believed in the 1500, well, uh, in the well 1700s, I think, when John Wesley was around. The, the Methodist Church, that's yeah. where this guy came from, was the Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they believed, uh, with reference to one say, I'm sorry, uh, um, depravity. Uh, total right here, depravity. They, they believe the same thing as did John Wesley, as did John Calvin. It was yeah. nothing new. Yeah. Cause that's, because what you can kind of see there is that they, that, that, that this guy Booth brought with him his theological background. And so right. he's still teaching the same thing. Although he started a separate organization, he's still teaching some of the basic theological tenets that he was brought up in. If I could just say one thing, the Bible is very clear as to whether or not that doctrine is, is true. Uh, if I could just go to one passage and one passage alone, it, it, there are so many to choose from. Um, I, I'm torn between, well, I'd have to give you two passages. One would be Ezekiel 18.20, where the soul who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. And the other one is Matthew 18, where Jesus calls the little children to himself and, and says, you know, permit them to come to me that uh, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Except you be converted, converted and become such as one now, of these little children. Now try to imagine this. Except you be converted and become like sinners. I mean, would that even begin to make sense? So that goes to the whole question of inherited sin and and, and a depraved nature. The, the Salvation Army, like many denominations, believes and teaches that doctrine. It's not a biblical doctrine, but that's just an example. You know, Chris, they, you may have, we, we made somebody in their email we've read already referenced uh, the 11 articles of faith mm-hmm. of the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read those. You can go to their website and find it right up. Right it, it, yeah, I mean, they're 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 out there. Uh, but they claim that the scriptures constitute their only divine rule of Christian faith and practice. That's Article 1. But we've already shown that they're not true to the scriptures in the things that they teach and practice. And so they violate their own Article right. 1. That's right. That's right. But, but uh, again, one of the things – we would have big problems then. They are a religious institution, and they teach things that we believe they, – they both teach and practice things that we believe are not in harmony with the New Testament. Not, not to sound like I'm, I'm correcting here, but it's not a matter of whether or not we believe, you know, as if we're the standard. Right, right. And I know that's not what you're saying, Greg, but, I mean, it's not a matter of, well, okay, we just disagree with them. Uh, well, we can disagree all day long. Instead of saying we believe they teach, we, we know that the, they teach yeah. and practice things that are not true to the New Testament. Whatever it is I decide to believe when I leave here this this evening, if I believe something that is totally false, that does not change what the Bible teaches, period. So the, when, when Chris Bates and Greg Gwynn are dead and gone from this world, this doctrine that we just reviewed of total hereditary depravity, whether it's taught by the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, or the Salvation Army, is still going to be without scriptural merit. If you understand what we're saying, the Bible still does not approve of that doctrine. It rather condemns it, uh, if not in so many words, in Ezekiel 18:20. Yeah, let me let me give you a quick rundown of some of the things that I found that they that they so, some more doctrines. I'm not going to go into detail, Chris, but sure. just some more doctrines they teach. You may have some input on any one of these. They teach the direct action of the Holy Spirit. They deny the necessity of baptism. They teach salvation by faith only. They do not observe the Lord's Supper. Did you know that the, Lord's, yeah. the, the, the Salvation Army makes no provision for observing the Lord's Supper? They use instrumental music in their worship services. They, as we already mentioned, they allow women preachers. Uh, and uh, they don't even finance, you know, to the point, they don't finance the operation of their organization biblically. In the New Testament, the way the church is to finance its, its operation is by the free will offering of the saints. And that's the whole thing we're talking here about the Salvation Army with their bell ringers and their red kettles out at Christmas time. They're 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 financing their operation in a different way, not what the Bible teaches is how we're to, to uh, finance the, the the work of the church. So why why would we trust uh, again that that we could support anything like that? I don't want to jump ahead to that question. But we're going to get to it uh, in just a minute. But uh, you're you're right. They they teach doctrine that is false. There, uh, that is just simply put, their doctrine is false. Uh, they, they 
incorporate into their worship things that are just not authorized, and they leave off things that the Lord expects his people to do. You know, they consider the Lord's Supper and baptism as what some call a sacrament. Uh, You hear, again, you hear a lot of that in Catholic circles. But the Salvation Army thinks that they are, not only are they of no consequence, they actually encourage some of their information on their website. They actually encourage their members not to observe it. There is nothing to be gained from it. Well, the bottom line, again, is this. The Lord's Supper uh, is a command of the Lord for his followers to observe as a memorial to put them in memory of what he accomplished at the cross. And this was something the first century disciples did on the first day of the week in the first century. And to say say that there's no benefit to it is a direct denial of what the Scripture says. That's right. All right, now let's move. We got a little bit of time here before our last breaks, and we need to get this started because I think this is the thing that's really critical. We got to talk about the question: Can we support them financially? And I asked the question, Chris, earlier today to our update list. Since this organization does good, now this is something we need to maybe stress just briefly. They do do acts of charitable kindness. I mean, they're out there feeding hungry people. Uh, I, I think by most standards, people would say they do good in the sense that maybe they help people who have critical needs. Okay. Would that be enough? It, it, and I, I know there's some probably mitigating arguments to, to offer concerning their doing good. We'll talk about that, but I'm willing to grant that they do some good deeds. Mm-hmm. Atheists. I mean, I, be, I know atheists who do good deeds. Well, sure. If they take care of their family, they're doing good. Yeah. So we're not, we're not going to, we don't have to argue that all the ins and outs of that, but would, would the fact that they do good deeds or do some good, would that be reason enough to justify supporting them financially? Well, Clay here in, in Columbia writes and says, just because they do good, that is not reason enough to justify supporting them financially. It seems that the idol temples of Corinth did a lot of good by passing out free food, but Paul told the Corinthians to flee, 1 Corinthians ten fourteen, from such places. If we support the salvation financially, we in turn are supporting their teachings, and Paul commands us not to have fellowship with demons, 1 Corinthians ten twenty, which is the character of all false religions. So Clay says no, because, and, and I think he's right, because they are teaching things that are not true to the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, the apostle Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We should be reproving the Salvation Army for their false teaching rather than supporting them to help them accomplish their false teaching. Well, that's right. You know, well, you, you, when you talk about supporting a group or an organization because it does some good, uh, and not to not to go back on your point, but, I mean, how do we define what is good? Uh, it's almost like the question economically, how do you define what is rich? You know, I mean, uh, rich to me may be that you have more things than I have or more uh, money than I have. Uh, that might make you rich in my eyes. It's a subjective view of what is rich, and it's a subjective view of what is good. But I'll tell you this, and this is how we can know for sure whether something is good or not. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished or complete or adequate, uh, furnished unto every good work. If it's good, God's the one who gets says, it says if it's good. That's right. And if it's good, he's provided the means to accomplish it. And the bottom line on that is this. So what I really wanted to say about you know 2 Timothy 3 is that, If God does not say it is good by way of his authorization of it in the scriptures, then it is not a good work, no matter how good it may seem to you and me to be. Yeah, I think it's right. It's not good. We might call it good, but if God didn't call it good, it ultimately is not good. You could, you could, if if I might stretch a minute, if if you could, you could look at the case of Moses and Aaron. Uh, in the wilderness of Zen, and here is is a situation where the people of Israel, time after time after time, are not satisfied and they're grumbling, oh, how we had it so wonderful back in Egypt. Uh, ultimately, God tells Moses to take this rod and assemble the congregation before the rock, and he's to speak to the rock before their eyes that the rock may bring forth water for the people and their beasts to drink. But Moses not only doesn't do that, uh, he, he not only doesn't do that, But he strikes the rock and also, according to the psalmist in Psalm 106, 
speaks rashly with his lips. Now, whether or not what he actually said is what was rash or, or he maybe... He said, must we bring forth yes. water. Seemed to take some of the glory to himself. That's right. Yeah, so that very well have been the case, or whether it's something not recorded. Uh, that That's probably the case, though, that he said, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock, as if perhaps he had the power to do it. Nevertheless, notice what happened. When he struck the rock with that rod, it still brought forth water. Well, it did good then. It did good. And yet, what for all the good it did, it kept he and Aaron out of the promised land. Exactly right. Real quickly, before we go to break, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, if uh, uh, concerning supporting them because they do good, he says, I do not support the Salvation Army, their red kettles, or any type of charity work they do because they are a religious organization and will take your money and claim their works by it. Actually, I jumped ahead to his third answer, but it's still they kind of overlap. Uh, he says the end does not justify the means. Situation ethics aside, the same argument could then be made. In other words, if the fact that they do some good would justify supporting them, the same argument could be made about the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Muslim faith. The Muslims do good. And so we're going to give our money to the Muslims who deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Yeah. Um, besides this, it assumes that we can define what is good and ignore what God says is good. The point you're just making, he also references Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. So uh, I think uh, Jim's right on the mark there about that. We can't support them. We can't use a end justifies the means kind of reasoning. We've got some more to say about that. We got, we've got 15 minutes to do it. We're going to be back and go to the top of the hour. We need you to get in with an email or a phone call, and we'll be right back after this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And we're back. We're going to wrap up this study here in the next 15 minutes, but we've got plenty of time for you to get involved and join us in this discussion. We're talking about the Salvation Army. We've already described some of their erroneous doctrinal stances and some of the teaching and practice that they do that's contrary to the Word of God. And we're talking about the question now, can you financially support them? And, and the, I think what we're seeing from most of our respondents is that they understand that to support them would be to support their false teachings. Um, now, we ask the question, does the fact that they do good justify supporting them? Well, they, I don't think there's any doubt uh, that they do good in, 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 a, in the general sense from their website it says it's hard to list everything that the Salvation Army does since it does everything from feeding starving children and families through recovery from natural disasters and more. They battle against poverty, addiction, and homelessness. They are a kind face to comfort the sick and elderly, a wise spirit to support the education of all ages, and a giving heart to address need wherever it occurred. Well, that's, and you're against that, Chris? <laughs> well, if I'm <laughs> Man, you are a low-down, well, no-good guy. I, I know. I'm stuck back here in the 40s or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you... If I could use a couple of extreme examples to try to make this point, uh, suppose that, again, when we're talking about doing good, we're talking about your perception of doing good, somebody's idea of doing good. Suppose this. Suppose there was a lot of crime in your neighborhood, and suddenly someone was fed up with it. And instead of operating through the local police department, this individual decided to take it on himself to become a vigilante. And clean up the streets. Now, uh, pretty good thing to clean up the streets. You know, that's right. He's done that. The criminals are running scared. 
so in turn, we'll do good and not report him for murdering someone uh, without the authority of the government to carry out their... In other words, it'd be a question, is it good? And if in my mind I believe it's good, does it justify me supporting it? The fact of the matter, the guy you just described is a lawbreaker. That's right. He's a lawbreaker. Now, here's another extreme example. Suppose there was an organization of people, a religious organization of people, who says that, look, we want to do the best we can to... Uh, rid this country or this particular section of the country of poverty. We want to make sure that this child is is placed in in, in good care over here, or we want to do the best we can to ensure that uh, someone's house that, that has been burned down is built back. Um, but by the way, in case you don't know who we are, we are the homosexual church of such and such in this area. Yeah, the, the Metropolitan Church of Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, so so would it be okay to then support them in that effort? We, we clearly acknowledge that helping people is always good, but uh, does the church per se have authority to just help people financially, or is there a restriction placed on it, let alone here is a group that would be, in my hypothetical, a group that is that is certainly um, uh, sympathetic to the homosexual causes, do you, do you think you can justifiably fellowship what they're doing? Uh, you can't essentially fellowship some of what someone is doing and not all of what someone is doing when you start supporting their efforts. Let me give you an answer from Stephen in Pennsylvania who says... I would never support give to I would never give to a charity if I found out that it would support a work that teaches false doctrine. Well, that is that is by definition the Salvation Army. That's right. He says, however, if it solely goes out to others for their benefit, why then do you need to give money only during the time of Christmas? It would be safer to give at other times, especially if they celebrate Christmas as Christ's birthday and nothing else. Because I believe that there are other circumstances when you can give that are to non religious nonprofit groups. I do not believe it. I would pass judgment on anyone given to their institution, though I would be extremely cautioned to throw about throwing my money around. Your money may be better spent giving it to needy saints, especially those who are doing the work of the Lord. So, uh, I, I think and I, I saw a little bit of equivocation there on his answer. I, I I would go with his first answer. If I found that they were teaching false doctrines, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't fellowship right. him. I couldn't you know, I, if I see somebody in need, then then I don't have to operate through an organization to help them. That's right. You know, I why, could, if if there are needy people, why do I have to give to the to them or any other organization? I mean, I can help. I can go directly help the needy person that I know. Something that Jim and should said, and should Galatians six ten says right, I should. That's right. And something that Jim said a minute ago was uh, he he mentioned the idea of of. If we can support them and they're good, then we can support the Catholics. Why not the Baptists? Why not other denominations? Um, if I could try to very concisely and quickly make this point. Um, back in the 50s, when there was a great discussion about whether or not the church could operate through what came to be known as an institutional board in supporting the care of orphans, there was a very complex and very uh, contrived, uh, so, so, yeah, sophisticated <laughs> argument that was made. Uh, called in loco parentis. Do you remember that yeah. in loco parentis? In, in, the, in, pla- in the place, in of, the the place of, of the parents. And essentially what it was was that here was the argument. Here, here is a home, uh, husband, wife, and children. And tragically, something happens to break up that home. In other words, maybe the husband and wife are involved in a car accident. And now this this home is a broken home. And so the men who served on the on the uh, institutional board said, we will take the place of the parents and we will restore the home by taking these children under our oversight and you send us all of your money and uh, we'll just take charge of them and their needs because we are serving in loco parentis. Well, you know, it sounds pretty good on the surface, but then what if the home was a Catholic home? And what if the home was destroyed, then by their very argument, wouldn't the Catholic orphan home and institutional board be the in loco parentis? And couldn't we support them in, their, in that effort of doing good and raising the child? Because the child is is neither Catholic nor, nor Protestant nor Christian. Uh, in this case would be an, uh, not accountable in, in my scenario, and therefore has not reached uh, the age of accountability, so he should become a sinner. Uh, wouldn't they then serve in the same capacity? And if not, why not? And if so, why couldn't we also support them? And so, bottom line, your 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 analogy is: if it's just a matter of doing good without regard to other 
with other aspects of it, then you can get yourself in all kinds of, of difficult circumstances. That's right. We got uh, from Patrick in Birmingham, and Patrick often responds to our questions and listens, and we appreciate him. But we've identified him before, and he's not ashamed for us to identify him as a Catholic. Uh, and so he, here's what he says about could you financially support them. He said, I did a little research to see if I could find any good guidance on whether one should give to the Salvation Army. There's as many opinions as there are people with opinions. I think it really comes down to personal conscience. I have given to them in the past, usually a small donation in the familiar red kettle. The vast majority of my giving is to the local church. I tend to a few Catholic organizations, and he names some of them. Uh, uh, he says, I don't agree with all the Salvation Army's doctrines, but they do an amazing job of putting their faith into action something of which the Apostle James would be proud. In Luke 6.30, Jesus said, Give to everyone who asks you. This is the only Bible passage I can think of which addresses tonight's question. So if you're opposed to supporting them, then don't go out intentionally to donate. But if you're asked directly for a gift, then perhaps not only would you be guiltless, but you may be very commendable for obeying Jesus' words in Luke 6.30, provided you do it cheerfully, Second Corinthians 9.10. Uh, I would have to disagree with Patrick at this point. Luke 6.30 is not unconditional. Give to everyone who asks of you. That's not – now, that's a general principle, and, and, and Jesus was teaching a generosity of spirit there, but it's not unconditional. Uh, I, would, I would counter that with, for instance, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. The man who won't eat or, or won't work, neither should he eat. That's right. If he won't work, then I should not give him money to buy food because he's too lazy to go out. So there would be a guy. He might come and ask me. But it would be my duty as a Christian not to give him money from Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10. Right. And again, the, the context uh, of our discussion is, can we support an organization who asks us to support them uh, and, in essence, assisting them to further their false doctrine, the false doctrine of total hereditary depravity, the false doctrine of faith-only salvation, the false doctrine of a general serving over uh, this, this supposed army, uh, the false doctrine uh, of the hierarchy of the Salvation Army. Can we can we support that by giving to their work? That's exactly what you're doing, whether you want to believe that or not. And again, there's there's the Apostle Paul statement in Ephesians chapter five and verse seventeen, or uh, you know, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you go back just a few verses to verse eleven of Ephesians five, he says, "Do not fellowship, do not participate with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them." It is my contention. I want to say this very clearly that the Salvation Army is supporting or carrying through with unfruitful deeds of darkness when they operate outside the scope of God's authority. And it's just that simple. I think that's the bottom line right there. Email from Don says, just because they do some good isn't a reason to, uh, in itself to support them because their bad may weigh out their good. I don't think it's a question of how much bad versus how much good. Yeah. In other words, I don't know if Don means that, but if anybody thought, well... There's some questionable things here, but, man, they do a lot of good. Right. And so I can overlook maybe some doctrinal things I don't believe with, uh, in agreement with. But, man, they're doing so much good. The good so far outweighs the bad. I'll, I'll do the I, I don't. I don't agree with that kind of reason. I'm not sure that's what Don means there. But he says uh, there are many denominations, even the Catholic Church, that does some good, but that doesn't mean we should support them. And so I think he probably is saying ultimately mm-hmm. the same thing we're saying. He goes on to say, now notice this, this is interesting, because he asked us a question. He says, we have donated a couch, kitchen stove, and clothes, uh, a clothes dryer in recent years to the Salvation Army, I take it, because we had no way to haul them off and felt like maybe someone who was in need could use them, but we never donate to bell ringers or in other ways. Were we wrong to donate the furniture items? Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, I think that's a matter of judgment there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a shame we get to it with no time left. And, but uh, I, I think, that, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've got to settle that in your own mind about that. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, there are the number of places you can do uh, that kind of work and not necessarily support the Salvation Yeah, I Army. think that's how I would answer it. There are other, there's other organizations, non-religious organizations, right. that can take those kind goodwill. of goodwill, uh, yeah. take those kind yeah. of items and, and distribute them and, and – uh, it's a good thing to help people with those kind of things, but I would want to do that work through an agency other than the Salvation Army because when you give them, even if you give them something like a clothes dryer that you're not using anymore or a stove, they're going to use that 
as as a tool to promote their doctrinal positions to, te- to teach the, their mission and purpose, which we've clearly identified sure. as a religious one. I'll say one more thing as we as we close here. You you mentioned earlier, and we didn't address specifically. Uh, can we even give our spare change, you know, to to drop in the bucket? The the issue again is not a question of amount. It's exactly. it's a question of authority. It's kind of like gambling. You know, somebody might gamble away two hundred dollars a week, and we would say, well, that's just sinful. But what if he only gambles fifty cents? Well, it's just as wrong to yeah. put to put fifty cents in one of those machines that... with the little claw that comes down and picks up the animal uh, by chance, the stuffed animal, uh, as it you is. You mean to, that's wrong too? Yeah, absolutely. As no. as, it, as it is to put you know five hundred dollars in the lottery. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know, so if you if you gave twenty dollars to the to the red kettle in the red kettle, or if you gave twenty cents, it's not a question of amount. And the, and the Salvation Army is coming up with billions of dollars a year, basically right. from spare change. That's right. So, so it's I not mean, a question it, of amount. It's a matter of is it author? Can we? by God's approval and authority, support an organization, a religious organization, that teaches something that is contrary to his expressly and divinely revealed will. That's that's the key, and I think we've answered the question. I, you know, sometimes when we get done, we haven't been able to really give a definitive close-the-book kind of answer on every question, but we can give a close-the-book kind of answer on that question. I believe that that's just cut and dried, black and white. And, and uh, uh, for all who are concerned about observing... Bible authority for all you do and say, Colossians 3.17, I would say you cannot be supporting the Salvation Army. There's no question about that. The Bible is so very clear that, you know, the, 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 what, the thing we need to support is the local church that does the work of the local church. And if we want to support a, an organization that does a good thing, then that's fine. We need to make sure, though, that we understand what they stand for. Are they a religious organization? And if so, uh, then we need to steer clear of that. We know that it's right to steer clear of that. Yeah. You know? So we want to be, make sure that what we do, like you say, Colossians 3.17, is by the Lord's authority. And if it's not, as we said earlier, it's not a good work, no matter how good it may seem to you to be. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Thanks for listening tonight. Uh, we appreciate your listening and your participation. We look forward to our Thursday night meetings on the Virtual Bible Study. Next Thursday night is a special night to a lot of people. But it's virtual Bible study night, too. We're going to be here, Lord willing, we'll be here at 8 o'clock Central Time next Thursday evening. And we hope that you'll put aside some of the other activities of that day and spend time around the computer. Get your whole family around the computer and join in for the virtual Bible study next Thursday night. Same time, same place, Lord willing, we'll be here. Until that time, read your Bible, study it, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567.